Good morning, y'all. Uh, I am so excited that it is 2019, 2019. How many people, I can't believe that 2019 is here. How many people can't believe that 2019 is here? I'm, I'm not the only one. Um, well, I'm particularly excited that it's 2019. And for one reason I'm excited is because in a few days, it's my birthday. Yeah. I'm going to be turning 30 live, 35, you know? <laughs> Truth be told, turning 35 comes with a lot of concerns. Not so much mine, but the concerns of my mother. Now, if y'all been rocking with us for some time, you know that I love my mother. I love Cornelia Aja, right? Uh, but you also know that my mom has quite a comedic way of showing me that she loves me too, particularly on my birthday. Now, it was a year, almost a year today. Today is almost a year since last year. I was at work, and my mom calls me and says, this is important, write this down. So she calls me, and I'm thrown off. Now, if you guys, just for context, last year during this time, it was a blizzard. If you guys remember, there was a blizzard happening in the city, and I happened to be in the office, and I had my computer out. So I'm concerned, because my parents are not the youngest people. I'm like, I'm, I'm prepared for everything. And so I have my computer out, I have my notes app out, I put my mom on speakerphone, and she says some things. Now, I want to say this, put this disclaimer out here, please, y'all. My mom, my mom, my mom is not the most politically correct human being <laughs> in the world. And, and also be clear, uh, she is like old school, old school Nigerian, old school. So please, don't take what I'm about to share as like the official position of the church. Y'all good with that? Y'all cool with that? Okay. All right. So I'm going to show you literally what she shared with me. And I'm going to say it to you as I heard it. Y'all ready? Okay. Lawrence, my son, I love you. In a few days, you will be counting 34 years. You're a man, and I'm proud of you, but I worry. We named you Lawrence, not Paul. <laughs> you need to find a wife. I don't care about any degree. All I care about is that she gives you peace of mind, is willing to grow with you, that she loves you, listens to you, and is loyal to you. Yes, ma'am. She should be calm. <laughs> no know-it-alls. She should have nice legs. Also, no divorce. Child support will bury you. You want to be young with your kids, and your father and I would like to see them while we are still living. <laughs> choose wisely, but child, please, oh, choose soon. <laughs> I love you. Don't drive your car, the weather's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all laughing my pain, fam. <laughs> Translation, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> Translation, what are you doing with your life, family? But seriously, even in the season that we're in of New Year's recaps, goals, and resolutions, one of the most jarring questions that I could ask myself is, God, am I making the most of my life? God, am I making the most of everything that you have given me? Now, I'd like to act like the answer to that as an emphatic yes, but if I'm honest, I have heavy doubts that God is pleased with me with how I've handled everything that he's given me. Now, trust me, hear me out. I am fully content in the Lord. I'm grateful for the life that the Lord has given me. I'm grateful to be alive in 2019. I am grateful. 
And though I'm thankful to be able to give the full measure of my life to his work, I'd be lying to you if I act like another year comes by and it doesn't hurt that all I have to show for my life is my life and nothing else. But even beyond personal life aside, in every other area of my life, I consistently ask the question, God, are you pleased with me? Are you happy with the way I'm handling everything that you're giving me? Now, I know I'm not the only one. How many people in this room have asked God, what am I doing with my life? How many people have asked, God, are you pleased? with how I am using, how I am leveraging everything that you have given to me, my life, my breath, my relationships, my gifts. Are you pleased? And even if you don't consistently ask yourself this question, wouldn't it be wise as you come up on a new year for you to evaluate, am I making the most of what God has given to me? Now, the God that we follow, the God that we serve is not a God of waste, Everything that God creates, he does not waste. In Scripture, one of my favorite passages of Scripture comes from John 6 and 12. And this is when Jesus had multiplied the bread and the fish for a crowd that came over. And what I love about that Scripture, what you sometimes would speed past, is that Jesus at the end says, get the remaining bread and fish. Let nothing be wasted. Now, if Jesus would not waste bread and fish that he made on a whim for a group of 5,000, how much more would God care about the people he's created and everything that he's given you in your life? Now, from the beginning, from the beginning, one of the things that I struggle with and one of the things I sit with and I appreciate is that over the next few weeks, we're in a new series called First, God Over Everything. Well, we'll be learning how could we reorient our lives and position God, the creator of everything, over everything. And today, we'll be setting the foundation for the rest of the series, looking at biblical stewardship, and how could we use everything that God's given us for his purposes and his glory. Now, a quick definition of steward is a person who is responsible for the possessions or property of another person. Now, you know, usually when people hear biblical stewardship, the first thing that you think about is money and tithing. Some of y'all are tightening up right now. Here we go. We're about to talk about the money. Y'all concerned. You think like another collection plate's about to come across? And No, we're not doing that at all. And though how you steward your money is a great way and how it reflects your heart, we often think stewardship's more about our habits than our hearts. Biblical stewardship is more than that. God, doesn't, God the creator of the universe, the infinite being who created all things, doesn't need your things. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. Which is why the first and greatest commandment that he's given us is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There is no coincidence. Now from the beginning of time in Genesis when God created everything and he created human beings, he created us to have dominion and divine stewardship over all of creation. This wasn't about domination. It was about you are responsible for stewarding what I created, human beings. So wouldn't it make sense that everything that God has created would be used for him? Now, my goal today, again, is to set the foundation and root you for the rest of the series. 
And here's what I want you to see, that everything that comes from God is to be used for God. Every single thing that comes from the creator of the universe is to be used for God. And since God created all things, including our lives, then we are called to be divine recipients, divine representatives who are eternally responsible for what we do with it. Again, because God created everything, including our lives, we are called to be divine recipients and divine representatives who are eternally responsible for what we do with it. Now, when I see this scripture, you know, there's some people in this room who kind of sit with this guy and like, all right, cool, God created everything. I get that. People who've been walking with Jesus for their entire lives on dang there. So many other people who have just are newer to Christianity are still wondering, like, okay, yeah, I get that God creates everything, but could, we get that conceptually, but practically the way we live our lives is like, God, like everything that we have is ours. It's mine. So conceptually, in everything we see, think, say, and do, we say it's mine. So Jesus tells us this parable. And what he's doing is, it's one of the most difficult parables. People consider that because people don't know if it's an analogy, is an allegory, is Jesus actually commending dishonesty, and he's not. But the foundation of this parable, the spirit of it, gives us the foundation for our series and the message today, which is everything that comes from God is to be used for God. Now, it's written by Luke. Luke, our boy Luke, wrote nearly a third of the New Testament. He wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote this. And Luke was highly educated. He was a physician who left the comforts of his career to give the full measure of his life to God. So if there's anybody more fitting to give us this parable, it's Luke. Now, I'm going to reread the scripture. I'm going to narrate a bit because there's some things, certain topics or things in here that you may not understand. So I'm going to reread it. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 1 through 9. Everybody got it? All right. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called them in and asked them, what is there I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. It's a lot of olive oil. You could fry a lot of plantain with that. Uh, (laughs) The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, he had acted prudent, he gave careful thought to the future. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light, than are people who even follow Jesus. I tell you, use worldly wealth, everything that I've given you in this life, to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Again, what I want you to see is that everything that comes from God is to be used for God. And since God created everything, including our lives, we are called to be divine recipients and divine representatives who are held eternally responsible for what we do with it. We are divine recipients. Now, I want us to actually locate ourselves in this parable. Who are we in this parable? 
So even if we look back in verse 1, it's quite clear. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called them in and asked them, what is this I hear about you? Jesus wants us to see that we are not the rich man. We are the manager. Said another way, we are divine recipients. Now, one of my favorite hip-hop and R&B albums of all time, and y'all could at me, I don't care, <laughs> of all time, is Jacquees 4275. <laughs> if y'all don't know who Jacquees is, there's a blessing on your life, so don't. <laughs> no, but seriously, my most favorite, <laughs> Jacquees is messing everybody up. So <laughs> my favorite hip hop and R&B album of all time is Mary J. Blige, My Life. My life, my life, my life, my life, in the sun, if you look at my life. Y'all don't, come on, man. Da, 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 da. Yeah, okay, okay. I just want to see who was in the room. I want to see you in the room. I was like, is it 90s, babies? What's going <laughs> Thank you. My life, my life, my life, my things, my money, my body, it's mine. It's not yours. It's mine. Everything about the world tells us it's mine. So it's hard for us to see ourselves as divine recipients. It makes it hardest to see everything we receive as being from God. It makes it even harder to use everything we have for God. And some part of this is intentional because we love autonomy. We love feeling like we're in control because, look, if we are the ultimate source, then we have the ultimate say on what we do with it. We may like pray to God. Even in, in, in our scripture, in, in Philippians, it said, you know, pray to God if you are anxious. Give him prayer and petitions with thanksgiving. He is not our magic genie. He is not our advisor. God is the source. He is not the supplement. God is the creator before he's your collaborator. God is all of those things. Now, you may still be struggling with this, like, all right, cool, but consider this. Think of this. Imagine if everything, in one moment, you could lose everything that you have in an instant. The shirt on your back, the roof over your head, you can lose it in an instant. You have to consider whether or not you truly own it, whether you truly are the source. Now, one of my favorite cities in the world is New Orleans. Now, I love New Orleans because I spent the summer and junior years of my, in, high, in high school at Xavier University, baby. That was the most favorite place. I love the way they say, baby. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I loved it. And so you can imagine some of my closest friends in life are from New Orleans. You can imagine how heartbroken I was during Hurricane Katrina, and I'm on the phone with them. And what was shocking was that people who had lost everything but their life and faith in God were reminding me on the phone. They were like, we know that God can restore it because God was the one who provided it. We believe that God will restore everything that we lost because he is our source. I had to hear it from them to be reminded that God is our source. But even if you take it a step further, think about your life. You don't even determine the length of your life. In one moment, you could lose it in a flash. In a flash. And you have to consider, consider, if I could lose it in a flash, whether it truly ever belonged to me. Half of you in this room 
We're waiting for the seven trumpets to sound in the apocalyptic four horsemen to come down Frederick Douglass Boulevard because you saw a large blue light come up from Queens the other week. <laughs> shook ones. Scared to death, scared to look. Y'all were shook. Y'all were coming outside like Will Smith in Independence Day, like, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't get my... I need to get my, I need to get my fares in order. Half, some of y'all in this room because you saw that blue light from Queens. Today, I need to get right with God today. I need to get right with God today. I love how scripture, scripture puts it better than any of us could ever say. In Job 14 and 5, Job says this, a man's days are numbered. You know the number of his months. He cannot live longer than the time you have set. The only thing that you cannot lose, that no one can take away from you, is your faith in God. And the more your faith in God grows, the more you grow to understand that God is the source. And he created everything. And since he created everything, we have an obligation to honor him with what we do with it. Now, I have to admit, there's something about this manager in this story that I just resist relating with this manager. I don't know if it was because the prodigal son parable was before it, and all I can imagine him just like making it rain and squandering his owner's possessions. I'm like, you know what? I, I know I'm not perfect, but like I'm not that bad. Like this guy was flagrant. But then I sit back and I reread this scripture. Let's reread verse one. It says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called them in and asked them, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. This manager wasn't expecting to be confronted by the owner. The waste, he says he squandered his possessions. We know that he wasn't doing his job. And it wasn't until he was confronted that he realized that this stuff's not mine. He got comfortable. How many of us can relate to getting so comfortable that we take the things that we've received for granted, that we forget that we are not the source, that God has made us divine recipients of his gifts. I remember in college, man, when that student loan direct deposit hit, man, I was spending that like money like it was mine. I was like, yeah, two chicken patties, two chicken patties, right? I was spending that money. I was spending that money until later on I was confronted by the rich woman, Sally Mae, and she was asking me, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. Some of y'all took way more loans than you could afford, and you didn't realize you couldn't afford them until later on somebody confronted you. It was just like, this call may be modern recorded for quality care. Bar. You're like, oh, click, click, click. I don't got it. <laughs> I don't got it. <laughs> it's easier for us to get comfortable when we forget who is the source. It's not us. It's God. How many of us we want to talk to God when we're broke, but never seem to want to talk to him while we're spending the money. How many, man, how many married couples would steward their marriages better if they're reminded, like the Proverbs say, that your spouse is a gift from the Lord? How many of us would complain less about our jobs if we're reminded that God gave it to us, that we did not originate it, that we are not the source of what he gave us? How would your life change? If you actually believed, you're a recipient. Now, Jesus tells this, this parable to his disciples in part to remind them 
that everything they have, the creator of the universe, everything you have is from him. And Luke puts it even better in Acts 17, 24, and 25 when he says this, God made the world and everything in it. He gives all men life and breath and everything else. Yet and still, we forget this. We forget that we are divine recipients of God's gifts. And like all gifts, they are received, not achieved. And since we are divine recipients of God's gifts, then we are called to steward what he's given us. And we spoke about this as we're coming into New Year. The temptation that all of us can fall into is that God wants more for you. You pray to God, he's going to give you more increase, abounding, more and more. And yes, hear me, God can give you more. But more often than not, God is calling you to cultivate a spirit of gratitude and be faithful with what he's already given you. But God wants us to do more than just receive. He wants us to represent him and how we steward what he's given us. And everything that comes from him is to be used for him. We're divine representatives. Now, years ago, I was in living in West New York, New Jersey. Half of y'all don't even know it's a city named West New York, New Jersey. And I was a live-in house manager for a former NBA player who was playing overseas. Now, for security reasons, for maintenance and some renovation he needed to do, he needed somebody on site to live there and look after his place. So we had mutual friends, he connected us, and the rest was history. Now you can imagine, for a 26-year-old to, to be, to actually live in this palatial estate, it looked like it could have been on an episode of MTV Cribs. I was living the life. Now hear this, I remember the day that I moved in, and what was clear in the neighborhood is that they never really met the, manager, the, met the owner. Now it makes sense, he had multiple houses, he was rarely there, but here's what was sad though. When I was actually like putting my stuff in, one of the neighbors came up to me and he was extending his arm to shake my hand. And he was just like, oh, let me guess, you play cornerback for the Jets. And I'm like, now, now you can imagine. I didn't know if I was more insulted for the fact that he assumed that I had to play in the NFL to live in that house, or the fact that he assumed that I played for the Jets. <laughs> the Jets? I can't get the Giants, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll feel some type of way, man. I feel some type of way about it. <laughs> but my job was to look after the property as though it was mine. That was my job. I was given all power and authority to execute on what the owner wanted in terms of the renovations. Everything that happened at the house, I was given all power and authority. Similarly, in this parable, in line with Jewish custom, this manager was serving as an agent on behalf of the owner, which means this manager had all legal authority to execute his owner's mission which is why he had the power and authority to literally reduce, forgive the debts of his debtors. He literally could do that. And some people, you want to speed past the fact that he reduced this, but he reduced it by a big amount. It's the equivalent of 500 denarii across each. That's two years income and wages. He did just like this. And none of them batted. None of the, the scripture doesn't say, oh, are you sure? Could you do this or not? No, no, no. They took it as though the owner himself forgave it. Now imagine how they felt. Imagine how those debtors felt about the manager. But also imagine how they felt about the owner. Now the owner commended the dishonest manager, not only because he gave careful thought to the future, but he commended him 
Because he's like, yo, through your actions, it reflected well on me. It gave God glory. It gave me glory for you doing that. But we also don't, it's not coincidental that what the manager did was forgive debt. He showed them grace. And you glorified me in what you did. We look in verse 9. Scripture says this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now we see that, we think it's actually the word friends, but it's actually, in the, in the Greek, it's actually the word philos, which is like favorable. It doesn't mean friends. He's like, use everything that you have to win favor and to win souls for me. Everything. And here's what Scripture is telling us. Here's what it's telling us. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you represent God, whether you want to admit it and accept it or not. When people see Christians, they hope to see the Father in how you live, in how you steward what he's given you. We are his divine representatives. Our stewardship matters. Remember, think about this. Earlier on, when the manager was squandering, wasting the owner's possessions, it reflected poorly upon the owner then too. They came to him. He's like, what is this I hear about you? His poor stewardship Poor stewardship reflected poorly upon the owner. There are so many of you who have stayed away from church for years because there are people who claim to follow Jesus who were misrepresenting him and how they cared for you, how they treated you, how they stewarded their life. On the flip side, there are so many of you in this room because of somebody who was representing Jesus chose to love you the way he loved them. You wouldn't even be here. If it wasn't for them, this is why everything that comes from God is to be used for, used for God. Our stewardship matters, how we steward our lives, how we steward our bodies, how we steward our money. Everything reflects upon the king of kings. It does. And here's what's at stake. We are going to be held accountable for how we steward what God has given us. Too often you think you're saved, and that's it. You are going to be face to face with Jesus Christ, and he's going to ask you to give an account of your life. Did you know that? He will. And so many people, so many of us, we don't even have time to unpack that theology today. But we know this much. Something changes about the way you do something when someone other than yourself is going to look at it. We all know there's cleaning, and there's cleaning when company's coming over. You're like, yo, go back in the bathroom, behind the toilet. That, it's different when somebody's going to look at it. Hebrews 4 and 13 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to whom we must give account. What loving parent wouldn't hold us accountable if we were living on course? What parent would not do that? Now, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for us? It means we'd probably be more generous with our resources because we represent Jesus the ultimate rich man who gave up and emptied himself of eternal riches so that he could save us. It means we'd probably be more, better stewards of our relationships, holding on to people that most people would cut off, hurting people that most people cut off because we represent Jesus Christ while we were yet sinners, went to the cross and died for us so that he could hold on to you, me, and all of us forever. It probably means that we'd be better stewards of our bodies, not just because it is the dwelling place 
of God and the Holy Spirit, but also because we represent Jesus Christ who reserved his body to be pierced and cut so that he could have eternal union with us at the cross. Tim Keller has this great quote that hurts me when I read it, but it's real. He says, back in the ancient church, Christians were known as representatives. They were known, they, rep- they were representative of God's character. Because you know why they were known that way? It's because they were known for being stingy with their bodies and generous with their money. And the sad part, if we're honest, as graciously as I could say it, too many of us are known for being stingy with our money and generous with our bodies. How we represent God matters. We can either lead people closer to the gift of eternal life, or we could push them further away. And God is counting on us to represent him well so that he can give that free gift of eternal life through how we represent him with our lives. We're responsible. Family, we're responsible for how we steward what God has given us. We're eternally responsible. Now, the manager was considered shrewd because he let the future inform how he managed the present. And the future for us is eternity. Unlike the people of the light who lost sight, they felt, I'm saved, I'm good. They lost sight of the fact that God had given them everything, everything, so that through their lives, they can win souls for God. And their reward wasn't just that God would say, well done. Their reward is being able to see those same faces that they invested in their life in those eternal dwellings with them. That is my reward. You're with me. I used to think love was saying, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. But Jesus at that cross showed you that real love is what I can't wait to spend eternity with you. If you love the people in your life, you will be responsible for how you represent God and how you show them the gift of eternal life. You don't love them if you just care about this life. You can't love them if you care about eternal life. So then how do we practically respond to this message in our lives? How do we root this truth that everything that comes from God is to be used for God today? One thing I'm encouraging you all to do is to revisit your 2019 goals. How many of us really prayed to God before we wrote the goals? Ask, show me how you want me to use to steward my time, my treasure, my talent. My... Show me. And I want you to look at those areas of time, money, relationships. And I want you to ask the question, does the way I plan to steward my time, my treasure, my talents, my relationships reflect that it is a gift from God, that I'm a representative of God, and that I'm going to be held eternally responsible for what I do with it? But what I want you to do is also share that with somebody you trust this week and ask them to review it and pray over it. And over the course of these weeks, as we go in this series, revise it as you learn more things so that that list of goals could really reflect God's will for your life. And here's the thing, and I'm not sitting up here on Mount Olympus. The more I think about this, the more I realize that, you know what, even on our best day, even on our best day, We're more like the manager than we'd like to believe. We use everything that God has given us, more often than not, to serve us, rather than to serve the one who gave himself up to serve us. Now, 
as much as I understand about grace, as much as I understand about the love of God, it still scares me. It still concerns me to believe and know that I'm going to be face to face. You're going to be face to face with Jesus Christ. He's going to ask you to give an account of everything in your life. Everything. But the good news, the good news is that because of his great love for us, Jesus Christ looked death face to face, and he willingly received us, willingly represented us, and willingly was held eternally responsible for us at that cross. The good news is that Jesus, the Son, came from God the Father to save us, the children, because God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son so that whoever should believe in him, whoever puts their faith in him in this room, whoever in your family, whoever in your workplace, whoever puts their faith in him will not perish, but will have the gift of eternal life. And God gave everything because there was nothing worth holding on to, not even his son, if it meant he wouldn't be able to hold on to you, hold on to me, and hold on to all of us forever. That's good news. That is good news. Let us put our faith in him. Let us receive this truth from him. Let us give our lives and give everything that he's given us for him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that everything that we have, you have given to us. And I thank you ultimately, above all things, you stand the place. You stand the gap between us and God. We are not held eternally responsible. You represent us. You receive us because you love us. God, let not fear, let not worry, let not doubt, let not guilt, let our love for you be reflected in how we love one another and let it be reflected in how we love through how we steward everything you've given us. In Jesus' righteous, holy, and matchless name, amen, amen, and amen.